G'day, I'm Rob. And I'm Dave. And you're listening to Alternate Galaxies, where this time around, we're going to be talking about the Disney Star Wars show Andor. Hello, Dave. Rob, how are you? We have, I think, spoken now about every season of Star Wars that has come out on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Well, the live action stuff, at least. There, the live there, action. There's a lot of animated stuff we haven't talked about. No, that's that's very true, actually. That's very true. No, the live action stuff we have yeah. always come back to talk about. I don't think that there was ever any doubt we were going to talk about Andor. No. Our, our comments, if you follow us on Twitter, have been quite effusive, so <laughs> it's probably not going to be a spoiler that we're into this show. Well... That leads into my first opening point, Mm -hmm. and um, we will just highlight that, as usual in these sort of conversations, there will be some non-spoilery opening, and then we will very clearly put down the spoiler curtain. But before we get there, that that does bring me to my first point, which is my first few tweets about Andor weren't necessarily that effusive, and I did find those first two episodes particularly a bit of a struggle. Um, I enjoyed the concept, I enjoyed the character, but I wasn't yet hooked. But then episode three hooked me in, episode four really hooked me in, and by the time we got to five, I was just like, this is the best thing that Star Wars has ever done. Now, I don't know that it's literally the best thing that Star Wars has ever done. Uh, no, I'm not going to put it above, above Empire Strikes Back at the very least. Mm-hmm. Um, that that, that remain, remains on the pedestal quite deservedly, in my opinion. But it did take a while, and, and I think, because I did go back last night and watched episodes one and two to see if it was, like, my fault or the show's fault. Mm-hmm. And whilst going back to those episodes with the knowledge of what's to come did enhance them. I do think that they are slower than they needed to be and should be. And they lack that hook that, for example, Mandalorian had. Mandalorian had that first few scenes. He's in the space bar. He's got his mark. He finds his mark. He has a fight. His mark tries to escape. He puts it in carbonite and you go, right, okay. I know what this series is not amazing. There wasn't that equivalent on Andor. So very effusive at the end, not the start. So that's my first point, Rob. Mm. Yeah, I'll have more to say about the pacing uh, as we get into spoiler territory. Yep. I'll go back further to begin with, Dave. My relationship with Andor goes back years to before they were even making the thing, when they had just announced that they were going to do it. And I've actually reshared and retweeted some of this stuff in recent times to say, this is what I was saying, you know, three years ago or however long it was. Basically, I made the call that while people were poo-pooing the series concept, I thought it had legs. And specifically, I said, if they do a series around this agent and they make him a killer like the original James Bond, it could make for a nice, gritty, different sort of Star Wars universe to what we're used to. Now, I was wrong about the agent part as, and I don't think this is a spoiler, so I will say it, when Andor starts, he's not in the Rebellion. He's not doing, like, secret mission stuff for the Rebellion. But he is a killer. And if you think back to the first episode, well, the spoiler curtain isn't down, so I won't go into detail. I won't mention what he does. But he, I, I know the instance you're talking about, though. He is a killer. And he's exactly the kind of guy I said, if they make a series about a guy like this, I think it'll, be, I think it'll work. And instantly, in that first episode, I was like, yes, this is realistic. This is gritty. I'm interested in this. It's not the gang of teenagers on their multicolored space vespers in Moss Eisley having chases at 15 kilometers an hour like we had in Book of Boba Fett. 
it's not little Leia being chased by one quarter of the red hot chili peppers in the most unrealistic let's run after a child scene ever filmed like an Obi-Wan this had guts this had realism this felt to me like something out of a 1990s Star Wars novel where the descriptions of stuff could be darker than the movies had been that that was where I was sort of seeing it so from the first episode Dave I was sitting in my chair and quietly head wobbling that I'd called this series out for having potential and as I sat there it had proven itself and I think over the weeks ahead it particularly proved itself to be the best recent Star Wars series and I think even better than The Mandalorian which has been the high watermark for Disney Star Wars until now but even The Mandalorian had some duff episodes. Remember the one with the cave and the spiders and all that? That was just <laughs> terrible. And it's also relied on major fan service, such as bringing Luke Skywalker back a couple of times to get people really revved up. So I think this is better than The Mandalorian. Hey, we'll talk about that last point after we get into the spoilers as well. Look, I agree with pretty much everything you're saying there, Rob. Like you, this is the one that I've actually been looking forward to the most. When they first did that announcement of, here are the sort of shows we could do, I thought, well, Mandalorian, what's that? Boba okay. Fett, well, Boba Fett, well, he's dead. Oh, they're doing a, an Obi-Wan series. Well, like, Ewan McGregor would be cool, but either he's going to sit in the desert for six episodes or they're going to break continuity. And, okay, I got past that. But but then they said they're going to do Andor, and I thought, well, this is great because I love Rogue One. I think Rogue One is a fantastic movie. I think it's easily the best of the Disney-made movies. Mm-hmm. So I was really interested in that. But also, the thing that I've always wanted out of Star Wars, and you see it a little bit in some of the cartoon series um, but not really in the movies and not really in the tv shows so far is that sense of why the empire are bad and what it's like to live in an occupied uh, uh, citizenry mm. by, by, by the empire and i thought this is what it's going to do and that aspect of the show is one that i want to explore and that really i think was incredibly strong and something that star wars as a universe needed to do and did it here really really well The final thing I want to say before the spoilers come down, I know you've got a couple more points, Rob, Mm. is that I mentioned there that this was building off Rogue One, and I think that is a very apt point to emphasize right here at the start, because it felt a lot like Rogue One. It captured a lot of that desperation. It captured a lot of the tone of that. But the other thing that I remember really strongly about watching Rogue One, and it was mirrored here and echoed here, is I remember sitting in the cinema, watching Rogue One, and about an hour, hour, 15 minutes into it going, hang on, these people aren't going to get out of this alive, are they? Mm. Because we don't see them in Star Wars or Empire or Jedi or anything else. And so they're not not making it out. Oh, my God. Yeah. And the the, the echo point that I had with this was about episode four, watching and going, hang on, there's, there's no proper ensemble cast in this. This is, this is Andor... And whoever he meets in this episode for as long as the plot needs them to be there. And you always sort of have this idea. And occasionally shows like Black Seven or Buffy will, will break it. But, you know, if somebody's in the ensemble cast, you know they're making it to the season finale. You know you know they've got a contract. <laughs> exactly. And I, and I suddenly realised none of these people are guaranteed to make it to the season finale. And any one of them could die at any moment, with the exception of one character who we know has to be in the future. Yes. And, and again, I mean, and, that, and that's different. I mean, it's a big difference from Obi-Wan where three quarters of the cast, you know what their future is and you know they're making it to another movie. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one, I just thought, oh, wow. Yeah. Anything can happen. Yeah. Very cool. Look, my, my only other point before we bring the spoiler curtain down, you mentioned that this is the, the series that stood out to you before you saw it. 
I've been interested in all the Disney series before they've come out. Like The Mandalorian, I, I've been big into Mandalorian culture and, and such for a long time, starting back in the 80s mm. when, when I had a Star Wars comic book which delved into other Mandalorians besides Boba Fett. And I was fascinated by them back then in the Marvel Comics days in the 80s. And that's sort of been a little theme running through whenever there's been Mandalorian stuff I've been interested. So I was right into that. The Obi-Wan show, like I had read the uh, the Obi-Wan novel that came out probably about a decade ago. I think John Jackson Miller wrote it. And that was a really interesting story of Obi-Wan on Tatooine. Yes, he was just sitting out in the desert, but he was having interactions with the Tusken Raiders and with the mm. local moisture farmers. And it told a, a big sort of story about these families and... And Obi-Wan almost has a romance with one of the women and this guy's jealous and it's not quite that, but it's like that. And, oh, there was so much you can do with him being on Tatooine. So I was like, well, yeah, that could work quite well. And and again, with, with Andor, particularly people poo-pooing it, I was saying, no, this could be really, really good. Give it a chance. So I've been up for all of them in one way or another, but I've been let down by... <laughs> by uh, some of them, and even Mandalorian, as I say, hasn't always been great. Yeah, I'll leave it there. Fair enough. Well, look, we've really pushed the limit of the spoiler curtain with that. <laughs> we will bring the spoiler curtain down. From now on, we are going to talk about anything and everything that happened in Andor. Also assume that we're going to talk about anything that happened in Rogue One or The Empire Strikes Back or, or you know, The Mandalorian. Assume now that you're up to date with Star Wars. We're not going to say spoiler every second sentence. No. If you're not up to date... Stop listening. <laughs> stop or just accept that you aren't. Yes. <laughs> we've got enough few points here that we've written down on our run sheet to talk about. The first is, in the pre-spoiler moment, you said there was a moment that you kind of knew this character was what you wanted to see, but you couldn't say. Now the spoilers are down, Rob, please. I think I know which it is, but tell us. Yeah, of course. It's in the first episode, Andor is out on a planet looking for his sister, or at least leads on where his sister might be. And he's in what I think was a brothel. Was it a brothel? It was, yes. It was a brothel, yeah. It, it, it was a brothel that was too expensive for the uh, police to have been able to go to. That's correct. And he gets into trouble with a couple of these police. And then uh, an altercation ensues outside the establishment. And he kills one of the guys. And then the second guy, he really has the option to let the guy go. And he doesn't. He realises, I think, that it's too risky. He can't let this guy live. He just blows him away. Blast a bolt to the head. And I was like, yep, this is gritty again. And that's realistic. That's what you'd do in his shoes. So although he's not Space James Bond at this point in time doing espionage missions, he is still a stone-cold killer. And it's precisely the kind of character I thought he should be. And they didn't let me down. <laughs> not even in episode one. There it was. It is. They showed that very early in his introduction in Rogue One, and I think they've picked it up here. Yes. And, and re-watching that scene again last night, the thing that really makes it work is that there is a moment when that second police officer looks down and realises his buddy's dead, realises that he's the only witness to a murder, and realises that he's not getting away. Mm. And he then has the moments of bargaining, the moments of desperation, and, and all you can see is like, oh... I don't want to kill him. I don't like killing people, but yeah, this guy just witnessed me kill someone and I'm, no, got to go. And goes. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. So yeah, big tick for that. 
And and it's not the only time that happens. There's another couple of times in there where you go, oh, is he going to let this person get up? Oh, no, he's not. Oh, yeah, when the guy wants to split the uh, the winnings with him from, yeah. the, uh, from the heist and uh, <laughs> he blows him away too. <laughs> And, and in any other show, particularly any other Star Wars show, that would have been a moment of, I'm going to show I'm the good guy by turning this in, and hey, this guy just offered to betray you, and da 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 and there would have been a moment of comeuppance and a moment of justice. And he's just like, I'm not dealing with you, you're an asshole, bang, dead. Yeah, and when he goes inside, he, he just tells the woman, oh, he was going to betray us. She doesn't know that for sure, <laughs> you yeah. know. It would have been better to have dragged him inside and said, this is what he wants to do, you know. But he didn't want that sort of complication or that argument. <laughs> he just shoots the guy. And, and I think that's what I want to highlight with the character of Andor. This is a guy who is living under the Empire. We're going to see and talk about what that means for him and for his friends and for his family and for the people. But the evolution of him from... I'm just a guy down in his luck trying to do what I have to to survive and who is a ruthless killer and who's morally very ambiguous to the guy we know he's going to sacrifice his life mm. to save the rebellion. Yeah. And, and to see that happen, I think is really good. And it's not, it's not the Han Solo, well, you know, I've been given a contract for the next movie, so I guess I'm coming back to help fight the Death Star because, you know, I really liked your company so much. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a proper evolution of, my aim is to survive, and the only way to survive is to eventually go beyond who I am. Yeah. And, or, I've made a note here, is also interesting insofar as he doesn't have a huge personality, and he's the lead of the series. Yeah. You know, he's quite muted and reserved. He's almost a kind of introvert in some ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the series becomes a bunch of things that happen to him and how he reacts to them, more so than him going out and looking for trouble which is interesting of course because when we do first meet him he's out and about looking for information on his sister like i just mentioned and he's obviously been thieving some imperial technology as well so there is that side to him which which has happened but in the series proper once we start watching episode after episode he's kind of pushed and pulled along more so than making stuff happen himself it's only when he's pushed into a scenario like being locked up that he reacts to it and yeah. I can see why this maybe creates a character that some people just can't get into. He's not Han Solo. He's not, he's not got the witty wisecracks and stuff. And he's not making things happen. He's, he's a very different kind of lead. Yeah, he, he absolutely is. He has the ability to be very persuasive. And he clearly has got a sense of charisma. I mean, the way that he ends up leading the prison revolt, I think, is evidence of that. But it is understated and it is very good. But given that we've had two series about a guy who isn't allowed to take his helmet off except for, you know, when we need a dramatic moment. And <laughs> a, another series about a guy who spends a lot of time with a helmet on or in a Bacta tank. I, I think that that would be an unfair criticism. That's a really good point. And I, I, I wasn't thinking of those series when I was thinking on, on this, but that is a good point. But those series, mm. uh, well, Boba Fett at least, didn't work. Uh, look, that's true as well. Mm. A big plus point for me is the variety of locations. And I don't, I don't just mean the variety of locations within the series itself. I mean the variety of locations within the Star Wars universe. We're not, for God's sake, on Tatooine. Finally, we have a series that is not set on Tatooine. Um, you know, it, it, these are all very new places. It goes to different worlds and they all feel both alien but also relatable. 
Yeah, and there's a reason for that because, I mean, Andor does flit around many different places, which is something I always talk about in Doctor Who as being something I love if people do listen to the yeah, Doctor yeah, Who yeah. show. Absolutely. And a huge thing for me is the way that Andor feels like it's going all over the place and, most importantly, has often been filmed in real locations. Mm. And if not a real location, then a very, very well-done set that's been augmented with CGI. But some of the really good real-life locations, like that Imperial base in the valley, that's actually a power station in Scotland, Dave. I've watched a video about it. Oh, wow. And a lot of that stuff, a lot of that infrastructure is actually real. And, yeah, they've, they've built a few little things here and there to sort of make it look a little more Imperial, but it mostly looks like that naturally, this this power station. Now that I say it's in Scotland, do you get the Scottish vibe of that valley and all of that? I, I absolutely yeah. do. That. that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. yeah. And I've also recently seen a YouTube video where a guy is in London or was in London and he was walking around filming stuff. And then he watched Andor and he realised, I've been there. How, how have I been there? And he figured it out that they had filmed a lot in the Barbican Centre in London and then just painted in like CGI stuff in the background to make it look like Coruscant. But the the walkways, even the lighting, the overhead lighting is all actually real and in the Barbican Centre in London. (laughs) And the way they just augment real life locations like that reminds me very much of the first three Lord of the Rings films, not the Hobbit films, but the Lord of the Rings films where Peter Jackson did go to real places and then paint in extra stuff. And that just always looks great. Yeah, no, no, I think that's absolutely right. And where they couldn't do that was somewhere like Ferrex. But apparently the set that they built for Ferrex was huge, like acres. Mm. They actually built a town. Oh, that doesn't surprise me at all. Because when they're on Ferrex in those first uh, few episodes, obviously they go back there later, but in the first few episodes, I said to my wife, look at the bricks in the background. I think this is a real place, or at least it's a very, very, very good set didn't look fake at all. No, so it, it, it was fake, but it, it was, a, as I say, a huge, huge city that they basically built right. so they could actually film, film in it as though it was a real location. So, yeah, the, the way the locations were done were really good, but the way this opened up the Star Wars TV universe, I thought was really positive. Yeah, the, the attention to detail on the sets is huge. I mean, famously... You know, everyone kicked Boba Fett, and we've already mentioned Boba Fett multiple times. There are YouTube videos where they show some camera angles in Boba Fett where you can actually see that it's a set. You can see that, it, like, a building is not finished on the other side of the building, and you can actually see the parts that aren't finished in some scenes, and it's like, oh, no. Whereas the Ferric stuff, either it was very, very well filmed, or they had actually gone the extra mile and made 360 degrees yeah. sort of walls and roofs and whatever. Yeah. Something that people have criticised, but I think was a highlight for both of us, was the lack of Star Wars imagery and tropes. Now, I'm going to start off by saying I think that this is a really good thing, again, because it expands the Star Wars universe. Um, I know, Rob, you've got some points on this, but I just want to highlight the payoff to it. Mm -hmm. Was I think it's episode four or five where you see a TIE fighter for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching that and being on the edge of my seat a, because, oh, wow, there's a TIE fighter. And, like, I felt like this was a really big payoff for waiting for some sort of Star Wars imagery. But also, this now felt like the Empire was intruding on my world. 
So I felt like oh. the inhabitants of Aldani seeing that TIE fighter and going, this is the Empire now coming into a world where it doesn't belong. Mm. And that makes it scary. And this is a theme I'm going to come to a couple of times, but a lone TIE fighter keeping an eye on you is in some ways a lot scarier than a hundred TIE fighters coming at you going, beep, 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 beep. Yeah, that, that's very true. And look, I've got a similar story, Dave, because one of the first things I said to my wife during the first evening of watching Andor, which was the first three episodes, because they dropped three episodes to begin with, of course, was the lack of stormtroopers. We got through those three episodes and I thought, we're in peak empire here. And while you'd think many writers and directors would be like, look, there are stormtroopers. This is Star Wars. Stormtroopers, look. Andor actually pushed them aside. And I think the series was half over or more than half over before we saw Stormtroopers. So that's sort of similar to your tie analogy there, that it was a while before you actually saw this sort of come in. And I thought that's realistic because, yes, we, we start off in the arse end of space where the Empire is letting the local cops run the show. So why would they expend their crack troops on, on that sort of thing. And of course, that becomes a plot point later when there's dissent in that place and the Empire is like, okay, we're stepping in. And then we see the stormtroopers and the trappings of Empire on the ground. And then we see a TIE fighter. And I thought, that is so clever. But you know what? I think that's part of what has played against Andor. Because again, we'll talk about pacing later, I'm sure, in the first few episodes. No Jedi running around with glow sticks. No TIE fighters and stormtroopers in these early episodes. I think there's a kind of Star Wars fan who's like, this doesn't compute, this is boring. And that has turned them off it. Yeah, look, I think that's true. And if that's what you want out of a Star Wars thing, then this is not the show for you. Mm. That's entirely valid. That's entirely fair. I'm moving that to the side. I, I, I think that what you said is really, really good. And I like the realism of... We haven't got a big enough empire yet to cover everywhere. No. So we're, so we're contracting out the police to a company, a private company, and that is really effective. And, and as you say, to then sort of get the, well, hang on, now we're sending in the real real guys is, is really good. And that switches well over the course of the first few episodes from the private corporate police who are all you know, not very well trained and you know, they're the, 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 the chief of police is a bit fat and a bit over it and I wouldn't be terrified of him enforcing the law and no. everybody kind of just wants to you know, come in, live a quiet life, get their paycheck and go home mm. to then start to get to the Imperial Security Services where everything is very professional and the chief there is a driven man who looks, you know, he's, he's, he's elder but he looks fit and he looks professional looks ready to go and everything around them is gleaming it's white yeah it's gleaming and that is a real contrast of okay this is what it's like out on the frontier but this is behind it exactly exactly and also when i look at that guy of course he is older you think well this guy would have been coming up through whatever the equivalent republic service was you know yeah. he, he just hasn't been born and thrown into this job last week although it's not really shown i think about his backstory and I think about what he's seen and maybe how he might have a different kind of zealousness or zeal to his work than the younger officers under him who, you know, maybe working for the Empire has been their first big job. That's a really good point. What I want to use to segue into our next topic is it, it sort of, it, it, it does merge between them. And that is the way that the characters in this 
feel very, very real. And there's a real spectrum of types of characters there. You're right, you get the people that are genuinely fanatics. And that that, that security chief, I you're right. He, he was somebody who would have worked for the Republic. And I kind of see him as one of those middle-ranked people that when Palpatine comes to power, or, or, or even when the Clone Wars are happening, goes, I like this guy. Mm. I'm in with this guy. And I'm going to get advanced under this guy, and I'm going to get promoted under this guy, and I'm going to get power under this guy, because this is, this is my guy. Yeah. And then there are other people around who are just, well, you know what? I joined the Republic Civil Service. It's now the Imperial Civil Service. I, okay, my, 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 my business card has changed, but who cares? I'm still just doing my job. Yeah, they, they've just changed the logo outside the building or something. <laughs> Same building. <laughs> That's right. So they, they don't really care whether it's you know a chancellor or an emperor or whatever. They're just like, well, I'm just doing my job and now I do it for a different company. Okay, whatever. Yeah. A, and, and that real distinction that Andor shows between people who are just doing evil things because it's a job and people who are actually evil and enjoy doing evil things is really, really interesting. And where you see that, I think, particularly is in the stuff on the prison, where you've got the people that are actually quite sadistic, mm-hmm. the people that are enjoying what they're doing, the people that are very happy to go and kill a whole floor of prisoners if that's the way to get what they need, yeah. versus the other people who are just like, look, I just signed up for the military because it pays. I don't really care. I'm kind of happy I'm just in this nice, quiet prison job. And, oh, my God, the prisoners are escaping. Please, I'm just going to hide in this cupboard. I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. Um, which does, I think, bring us to... Probably the biggest point that I had for this show, which is that 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 tone and that messaging and that depicting of the Empire. And look, there's mm-hmm. a couple of quotes here that I have pulled out. And if you follow me on social media, you'll have seen that I have have shared these over the last few weeks. The line, if you've done nothing wrong, what do you have to fear? Mm. I fear your definition of wrong. Yeah. The line, the imperial need for control is so desperate because it is so unnatural. Tyranny requires constant effort. It breaks, it leaks. Authority is brittle. Oppression is the mask of fear. It's good dialogue, isn't it? We do not deserve a Star Wars show that can make my skin just get excited at the dialogue there. That is such good dialogue, but such deep and passionately held, classically liberal dialogue. Mm. And it just adds a length of depth to this show that I think Star Wars has never done before. Star Wars has been fantastic before. It's been exciting before. But I've never sort of been intellectually excited by Star Wars before. And I was intellectually excited by Andor. I was excited by those lines. I was excited by those ideas. I was excited by watching how ordinary people realise their freedom is being taken from them and they start to work out how do we fight back yeah. And that's an amazingly good concept that I just think is really, really huge. Uh, and the line that I've written here is, it lacks heroes. And up until now, Star Wars has been very much about heroes, mm-hmm. or, or heroines in, in, indeed. Whereas Andor's not about it, it's about the normal, everyday people who are pushed to do extraordinary things to fight for their freedom. This is about what it was like to be in occupied Krakow or to be in occupied Paris mm. or to be in occupied Italian, um, or, or, or any any other example that you care to name. And I just thought that was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've pulled out a couple of things here, Dave, so I'll, I'll reply on 
the tone of the show and, and, and certainly the depiction of the Empire, because I've got some notes that are in that vein. Yeah, great. I've, I've mentioned already the show being gritty. Um, and although you can absolutely go and find grittier TV shows and movies, because <laughs> this is still Disney Star Wars after all, there's still a real grit and bleakness in parts of the show that stand out to me, and I really like that. I think if you live in the arse end of space, and if life is tough, then you don't smile all the time, and you look run down, and things are used and dirty, and people are poor and just sort of hanging on. It feels very real in that way, that sort of living under the Empire vibe that we get, particularly on Ferrix. Yeah. With regard to the Empire specifically, I'll mention a scene where Daedra is on Ferrix, And one of the officers under her is like, hey, I'd like to hang some of these locals later. And she's like, oh, yeah, cool. You know, it's fine. And just sort of brushes it off and gets on with her job. And it struck me that hanging someone feels very un-Star Wars. It's more, I thought immediately of the town square hangings in Jojo Rabbit. Yes. And I thought... Yeah, this is very Nazi. And I'm not trying to say it's only Nazis who hang people in town squares. People have been hung in town squares ever since we had town squares. But in that moment, with the vibe of the Empire, the way they look, the way this guy wanted to spread a little terror and be a little sadistic to the local population, I'm like, yeah, these guys are Nazis. This is World War Two, And I know... That's not profound. And for our Doctor Who listeners, it's probably as profound as saying, hey, did you know there's a Nazi vibe to the Daleks? <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and did you really see it in Genesis of the Daleks? I, I mean, I get all of that. But I did want to mention that scene as it just stood out to me at the time that, you know, I'd like to hang these people. Yeah, fine. Oh, gosh. It, for some reason, that just banged. That just hit me in the head. That, that's right. It's not capital punishment as a system of justice, and let me say I don't support capital punishment, I don't think it is justice, but but there are systems that have been democratic and free but have still had capital punishment. It's not I'm going to fight against and execute people who've rebelled against the system. Nope. It is it is I am going to use some people's deaths to strike fear into the heart of the population to keep them down. And that is a very sophisticated point. There, there, there were two things that I wanted to highlight again that just showed how oppressive the empire was the scene where andor is arrested and then tried and convicted and his utter helplessness i'm just a tourist i'm just a tourist and 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 he legitimately was like this isn't this isn't as though he was caught doing a rebellion thing and he had to like pretend he wasn't doing a rebellion thing this is no no he was genuinely caught up in a justice system or an injustice system and and a police system that is clearly corrupt and unfair and he's serving the needs of the empire not the needs of the citizenry and of justice and it occurred to me as i was watching those scenes that in some ways is more terrifying than anything else I've seen in Star Wars because the idea of being caught up in a police system where you are helpless and where you cannot fight for justice is something that we all kind of fear, that we've seen in various societies, even sometimes uh, ostensibly democratic and free societies have had very corrupt and injustice-focused police. Mm. That is actually scarier than a bunch of stormtroopers coming in going, boop, 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 boop. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's just felt really, really powerful. And the Mon Mothma stuff where she's 
being spied upon, where her driver is following her, where she can't trust her husband. Again, that sense of just living every day, knowing if you say the wrong thing to the wrong person, that's the end of your life. Yeah. Well, that place he's in, it's like a nice seaside sort of resorty sort of place. Yeah. It's, it's like if you or I went to the Gold Coast and we're just going to pop down to the 7-Eleven to get a box of wheat bix because uh, that's what he's doing. He's just going to the shops, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he is, yeah, yeah. And, and he gets stopped, and he's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just a tourist. I'm just, you know, I'm just going to the shop. And they're like, well, just hang on, just stay there. And he's like, oh, but I'm just going to the shop. Oh, oh, oh now you're dissenting, you know, now we're going to arrest you. And it's like, what, what have I done? Yes, and what what can you do? Yeah. He, you know, he can't pull out his lightsaber. He can't go and do a little bit of force magic. He's just a guy around... Being, being arrested by three cops and a droid and he is helpless and that is terrifying yeah yeah crazy now dave we've been talking about characters do we have favorite characters in andor anyone we want to highlight even any guest actors there are several that i want to highlight so maybe we can tick tack on these or maybe we'll snap on a few of them mm-hmm. um the first i'm going to highlight is alex lawther as nemec who First of all, I'm just going to say Alex Lorth is one of those up-and-coming young actors who I've seen in a bunch of things, and I've sort of made a point of following his career because I think he's really, really good. So when he popped up in this, I'm like, oh my God, it's that guy in this thing. And that was a, re- <laughs> that was a really cool moment for me. But but that character of Nemec is, I think, and others have said this, this isn't a, a new hot take, this is a quite cold take, but I think worth repeating, he's kind of the heart of the series. Even though he's only in three episodes, he is the philosophical soul of this series he's the one that that gives us much of the 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 dialogue about what the empire is but also he's so normal Mm. he is such an ordinary person doing extraordinary things and leading this mini part of the rebellion and and sparking this manifesto what is going to become the rebel alliance and i just thought it was a great actor giving a really great performance that was just so ordinary that made it powerful it's that kind of ordinariness that a lot of shows don't lean into enough. They think, oh, this person did this. In this case, writing the manifesto or on another show, it might be doing something else. Therefore, they have to be the smartest or the best fighter or have been born from a king out of wedlock. Or, you know, just they have to have some highfalutin background where they're just the best or the most interesting or whatever. Or the best looking. Or the best looking, yeah, yeah, yeah. They never lean into ordinariness, or they hardly ever lean into ordinariness in shows, and yet it works so bloody well, and this is a perfect example of that. It is. One from you, Rob. Look, I'm, I'm going to go big here, Dave, and I'm actually going to mention two people, so bear with me. I like Stellan Skarsgård as Luthen very much. That was compounded when he had that epic space battle against the bigger ship, but particularly when he delivered his epic speech that everyone talks about, and I'd be surprised if you don't talk about it too. But honestly, a character I've enjoyed even more than Luthen is Denise Goff's Daedra. I think she's extraordinary. I like intelligence-type roles in general. I like spy-type stuff, you know, signals, intelligence-type stuff. So the ISB is a really interesting place to me and and has been when it's come up in the past and extended universe material type stuff. And she 
is our main focus there. We were talking about her boss earlier, but I think Daedra's really the, the focus. She's oh, yeah. she's driven, she's smart, and this ties into an early comment too. She's not all cackling, I'm evil. <laughs> <laughs> she's just doing what she thinks is right for her empire. And this ties back into people just doing their job, not really being particularly sadistic and so on. There are people around her who are doing that. And I don't think she'd be blind to the fact that there are people like that. But she isn't like that. And I find her very well portrayed and I find her really interesting. I had both of those on my list. There you go. <laughs> and, and and not a shock, I don't think. Stellan Skarsgård is obviously excellent in this role. That space battle was fantastic. The, the moment where you realise there's more to this guy when he gets goes back into the back of the ship, puts on the wig and starts to change his identity and you go, okay... Now, is this because he's a double agent on our side? Is it because he's a double agent on their side? And and I think you are left sort of wondering for a few episodes exactly where his character lands. But yes, that, that, that speech was iconic. Absolutely iconic. I burn my life to make a sunrise I know I'll never see. Mm. How good is that? And so that, that was a great character. And look, again, I, I agree with you about uh, Denise Goff as Dedra. The nervousness that she has about doing her job, you know, she's she's trying to imp- impress a boss and sometimes it's not clear, you know, which way it's going to go. Has she overstepped the mark? Has she actually showed a bit of intelligence and a bit of nous and will be rewarded? It goes both ways and that was very, very good. But the moment that I thought was really impressive and I, I thought she was going to go was in the last episode of series one mm. where she gets caught by the mob. Yes. And I thought, I thought, because as I said, anyone can die. I thought... Is she going to get torn apart by the mob? Yeah. That, and I, and she almost got there. Uh, but she was saved by the other character I had to mention, which is Kyle Soller as Cyril Khan. Mm-hmm. Now, you talk about a just, just ordinary dog's bodies. Um, this, is, this is the Empire equivalent of a open plan office worker desperate for a corner office. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I love that, that he's such a good character because those people are never good to work with. The people who are in a cubicle and desperate for a corner office and they've been there 20 years and they still haven't got their corner office. They are the worst people to deal with and they're, they're so driven by all the wrong things as he was. And, and, he, and he messes up and he's bad at his job in some ways, but he's so determined to impress people. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Dedra is dismissive of him and goes, look, okay, I, I love you really keen, but you are clearly an idiot. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> and then to be saved by him and to see where that goes in series two, I'm really interested in. And there's some clever show don't tell around him talking about, you know, clever writing in that first episode where he has tailored his uniform to look really yes. schmick, you know, where the rest of them look slobby. <laughs> and you just go, okay, I know what kind of person this guy is straight away. Yes, yes, I forgot to mention that. Absolutely. Have you have you tailored your uniform or just a little bit, just a bit of piping? You go, <laughs> I, yeah, I know exactly who this guy is. He's almost the Arnold Rimmer of... Uh, of yes, <laughs> absolutely. Without the that's laughs. A, that's a really good pull. I like that. But yeah, such a, such a great... Character. Um, look, we've mentioned in tangent Mon Mothma. Should we talk a bit about her? Go for it. First of all, the actress who plays her is is incredibly good, but Mon Mothma's interesting because she was obviously in Return of the Jedi. Yes. And in Return of the Jedi, she's almost angelic. Mm. She's almost goddess-like. She's this very still morally centered character leading rebellion leading the rebel alliance. And the way she delivers her lines, I always thought was weird as a kid, you know, many Bothans died. 
to bring us this information. Yeah, there's something almost sort of beyond our world about mm, it. Mm. Um, and, and then when you read the Timothy Zahn books and other extended universe stuff, she's still this moral center trying to keep the, re- the, the, the new republic on, on track to be good and moral, but you know she's yeah. struggling with it and all the rest of it. But to see the start of that character as what morally ambiguous decisions does she have to make to get to where we know she gets is really interesting. And, and, and she's interesting because I think she's the only other character you know has to make it to the end of the season. Yes. And, and the end of the, the end of the series. Yeah, but will some of her schemes be found out? If they are found out, how will she get out of it? You know, that's still all in play. Well, well, well we, we presumably she goes from senator to rebel leader. Um, and that means not being in the Senate anymore. So, yeah, that, that, that turn will be um, really effective. But again, well, the, just, just... The, the Senate gets dissolved during Star Wars. So does she last until it gets dissolved? And then she thinks, well, that's my cue. I'm off to the, the Arvin 4 base or whatever, you know. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Now, I, I kind of see her leaving before Leia does. Interesting. Okay. But it'll be interesting to see where she goes. But uh, even even you talk about the good writing, just the world building, the line that she had about how, um, you know, Senate services take a long time to do redecorations. As somebody <laughs> who works in a senatorial office, I thought, oh, that's so true. Like, you know, parliamentary, parliamentary bureaucracy, even a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away in an empire, is still tiresome. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> now, Dave, do you have a favourite segment and a weakest segment that you could talk about? Look, I do. There were two real contenders for favourite segment, but I'm going on the side of Aldani. I think that that was the segment that really brought the concept home for me. I think that the characters in that were really good. As I said, I think Nemec's my favourite character and he was in that. The location filming, as you we've discussed earlier, was really good. But I, I really felt that for what was, in some ways, just a typical sci-fi heist felt so much more than that in this. Mm. The relationship between the rebels and the governor and the officials and the kid and the family, I thought, was really dark. And I just really didn't quite know which way they were going to jump. I've said a couple of times now in this review, one of the strengths of the series is you don't know who could die at any moment. And several of them do die in that raid. And it's not a case of like, all the named characters managed to get through and survive okay. It's no, actually a number of them didn't make it and didn't get through. And, and, you know, even, even... Poor old Alex Lawther, you know, died at the last moment. And that that was, oh, oh wow, like even even the nice guy can die. Oh, my goodness. Well, you thought he might have had a chance because he got to like a, a medical sort of scenario happening. but He did. And I was sitting on the edge of my chair going, oh, he's, oh no. Um, so, yeah, that, that was just a really, really powerful segment for me. Um, I'll see if you snapped or you're going to raise the one that didn't. I, mate, mate, I didn't pick. <laughs> we, we do actually snap. For, for my favourite segment, while the prison episodes were very good, it was the planning of the heist and the heist itself across episodes four, five, six that I really got into. And it was around that fourth episode that I said to you, Dave, this has Blake Seven vibes. And that was literally, initially, I don't think I've told you this part before, because there were seven of them. <laughs> <laughs> they're in this crazy oh, garb. So they were, yeah. They're in this crazy garb in the countryside, planning this big hit on the empire. Just flip that for the federation, and I think I said to you, if they if they made Blake Seven today, it would feel like this. And I truly felt that it felt spot on for that kind of thing. So yeah, I I'm going with four, five, six for for my favorite episodes. No, look, I agree with everything you said there, particularly the Blake Seven feel. We probably should then talk a bit about the prison segment because. I think it was, you know, very narrowly second for both of us. 
Oh, gosh, yes. I mean, you think, oh, being incarcerated and having scene after scene where you're just building these parts and what are the parts for well we later learn they're for the death star um, which my wife called actually she said i bet they're building parts for the death star so can we can we just segue on that yeah. because i saw on twitter a few people said oh wouldn't it be cool if he was making something for the death star because he's making the thing that's going to kill him and i thought oh no it wouldn't be cool because <laughs> it's going to make the universe a little bit smaller and everything's about the death star and then then when you actually saw the scene i've gone nah that was really cool yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so look, you, you, I was going to say, you think in, incarceration will be boring and they're, they're just in these pristine white environments all the time, but it was really compelling. You you almost felt incarcerated with them and you would get the whispers from the, the guys returning from their shifts as they sort of crossed in the hallways. Like, oh, this has been happening on level whatever, you know. And it's like, oh my God. And people sort of um, signalling to each other through the windows to guys on other floors in other sort of areas of the jail and it became a really compelling part of the story. And I've got to call out Andy Circus here. I mean, you know, if you think all he can do is Gollum and sort of crawl mm. around in motion capture suits, oh, my God, no. He he can act. Bloody good effort. Yeah. Yeah, a, a guy who just wants to get through his sentence and just wants to make it to the next day, who then finds something bigger and something stronger in him is a really good character and again i think that that final prison break is so well done because you see all the things that have made the show really good you, you see the fact that people can die and people in that prison raid who were characters we did like were killed you also see the difference as i said between the officers who are like no i'm going to kill these bastards to i'm just going to hide in a cupboard with all my troops and hope they don't find us yeah. um which you know i thought you know there, were, there are going to be soldiers and prison guards who are like no no this is a nine to five job i didn't actually expect to put my life at risk and i'm not going to do it yeah. um and even the ambiguousness like we don't know if andy circus's character gets away no no is, is that just the end for him and we're just left always wondering yeah, and, and look, I think that's how it would be. So I think that was, yeah, that was a really good segment. Um, the weakest for me, I look, I have to say, is the first two episodes. Um, I just thought that didn't quite land as well as it could have. Now, you've been hinting for a while, Rob, about wanting to talk about pacing. Is this the time to do it? It is, actually. <laughs> <laughs> how well we know each other. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there have been so few weak segments in Andor, it was actually very easy to pick the weak stuff simply because it sticks out for being so rare. Yeah. And the first of two things I'm going to mention is the pacing of the first three episodes. I think they should have started with their foot just flat to the floor and had it over in two episodes. And I reckon the producers recognized this by the way they dropped all three episodes on the same day, probably hoping that, well, it is what it is, Let's hope people blast through the three episodes, binge it, and they they get into it rather than having this storyline play out over three weeks. Could you imagine that? I mean, people haven't got on board with Andor in general. The ratings aren't good, even with them doing it this way. How much worse would they have been if those first three episodes had dropped week to week? I think by week three, there would have been YouTube videos of people saying, oh, this is so slow and boring. What the hell's happening? So I think the producers even recognised pacing was an issue. I do have a second week segment, but I'll hold off saying that for the moment. Uh, look, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I think that it does shift up a gear in episode three and then shifts up another couple in episode four. Um, but I think they lacked a really good couple of action beats in those first two episodes, which was a mistake. Uh, your second example, Rob? Yeah, the second week segment, 
is the way that Daedra and Cyril were thrown together towards the end after where you think she might be pulled apart by the mob and she gets into that little room and then Cyril's thrown in there too. And just the way they looked at each other and the way they interacted, I thought, oh, are they going to kiss? Is she starting to get interested in him? Oh, don't go there. No, no, no. Please, please, no. Outside of those two things, though, I really, really enjoyed basically everything Andor laid out. But they are the two things I can sort of pull out. And that second one might not be a thing. I just got a vibe, though, from them. Yeah, I I took the vibe that he's kind of a bit of a loser who's like, this is an attractive woman. She's in the same line of work as me. I could have a go. And she's like, no. Um, yeah, but is she going to turn and be like, oh, he's yeah. actually not so bad. Yeah, I, I hope, I, I'm with you. I, I hope they don't. But yeah, look, look, very, very good. And I think that the structure of sort of the 3-3-3-2 actually worked out to be quite good. But as you say, I think I would have made the opening two and the closing three. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, you know, because to, 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 we were really invested by the time you get to that three and you could really sort of bring that out. And, you know, to, to, to the point where you care about whether the guy who's in the bell tower is going to survive or not. Yeah. It, just sh- it shows how invested you are in that community. Did you think he was going to smash the stormtrooper with his hammers? Instead, he just sort of most pushed him out of the, the bell tower instead. I did, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was another really good moment. So, look, Rob, you mentioned their fan reaction, and that's probably the last thing that we want to talk about. Um, I'll make two quick points. The first is I knew something was happening when I would go into Disney Plus when Andor first dropped, and Disney Plus has got you know on your on your TV on the app that big sort of top half of the screen is there. This is what's big now, and we want you to watch. Yep. And when Andor first dropped, it was the number one thing you open it. There's Andor. By sort of week four or five, I like had to flick through two or three of those screens to get to Andor. Mm-hmm. By the last episode, I was flicking through 12, and I got right to the end of that 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 set of things we want you to watch before I got to Andor. So I thought, this is clearly being dropped further down Disney's priorities. It's not the big thing we're selling every week, which is a shame. But the thing that I did notice is those people who were watching this show were absolutely passionate about it. I think everybody who stuck with it loves it and he's and he's very keen to tell everybody that they love it there is lots of chatter about this but done in a really fun way and the example i have is at the end of episode eight because people were very careful about spoilers and really enthusiastic but just everybody tweeting the words never more than 12 yes and you just saw that all over twitter just never more than 12 and that's because everybody who watched the show has seen that line and gone yes yes mm-hmm. and um we're really excited by it yeah, you, you feel like, and it's funny for something like Star Wars, which is such a big phenomenon, but you feel like you're in part of a, a special little club yes. almost when you watch Andor. It's got that kind of vibe to it. It really does. So, look, I think you've, you've mentioned, Robert, the reasons why it perhaps hasn't captured the audience and captured the attention that others do. It lacks the Star Wars imagery. It, it, it isn't as fun as the other Star Wars shows. Uh, I think that is a deliberate choice. I think it is a good choice, but it's not going to work for everybody. And and yes, I do know people who watched the first two and just thought, no, this is dull. I'm not going back. And in some cases, I've encouraged them to go back and they're like, yes, it does get good. But in others, they're like, yeah, yeah, look, I'll get to it maybe over summer. I didn't really enjoy it. And, mm. and, and I, I, I can't fault them for that because, yeah, I felt the same. Yeah, look, I'm. If it wasn't already apparent, dear listener, I'm delighted with Andor, and yeah. I'm happy that it's getting a second series, which has started filming, and that will be its final series. Not because it's getting the ass, but by design 
they they said this will be a two series thing and that's what they're making and i believe that the new series will time jump a little and by the end of that cassian is well entrenched in the rebellion he's off to do his thing in rogue one so it was never meant to be a long thing or a happy thing we all know cassian will be a hero but die in that huge planetary explosion in the Mm. end but getting back to the series we've just watched my biggest disappointment is that the audience numbers aren't there the disney star wars haters are convinced it's because boba fett and obi-wan did some weird stuff and have turned people off watching and while that might be true to some degree i think it's more the slower pace of the first three episodes and Andor himself being a bit muted not really a big hero type character as people know them and the series not having, you know, whiz-bang Jedi, special effects, all that stuff, has turned off part of the audience. And that's sad, because this is proper drama. We see the society from top to bottom, from Mon Mothma's amazing apartment on Coruscant, you know, juggling money to get get it to the rebels, to the actual rebels out in places like Ferrix living in the dirt. It's a very adult sort of Star Wars that I hope in time more people will come to. Say some, I don't know, 16-year-old now who's sitting there watching their YouTube or, or probably TikTok, you know, probably watching their heroes on TikTok saying, what a load of crap this series is, and they're sitting there cheering them on. But when they hit their mid-20s in another decade, they'll see something that reminds them of Andor and they'll go and re-watch it and be like, oh, this was actually really good. At least that's what I hope happens for some people. Yeah, I think this is going to be a real slow burn sleeper series rather than something like Mandalorian where like everybody's oh my god baby Yoda I'm watching this now and it kind of comes and it goes and it is what it is and it's great and I, and I love Mandalorian but it, it is something that did sort of come and go from my my life well even Rogue One was a slower burn I would say more people that's like true. it now than like it liked it back then that's a really good point I think that's really really true and I think this will follow that Rogue One path of people will slowly discover it people will start to work through it there will be people who potentially listen to reviews like this and go, well, these guys really love it. I, I guess I should give it another go. And over time, it will, I think, build a really strong audience. I think it will potentially outlast a number of these other series in terms of its legacy. And look, for me, I agree. It's one of the best things Star Wars has done. It's, it's right up there. It's certainly the best of the TV shows. It's great dialogue, amazing characters, really interesting concepts in a galaxy that feels big. Yeah, well, well said. That It's all of those things. So there it is, Dave. We've talked probably twice as long as we actually set out to do, but I think it's been well worth it. There was just so much to dig into, and I think and or fans who are probably, hopefully the people listening to this, will appreciate what we've done here. No, absolutely. I've really enjoyed talking about it. I suspect that our enthusiasm has come across. I certainly hope it does. As always, though, please get in touch with us, email us, tweet us, let us know what you thought. Do you agree, disagree? Very happy to keep having conversations with people about Andor. Oh, yes. And particularly as rumours start up about the next series, is Luthan a Jedi, Dave? Let's not go down that rabbit hole now. No, let's not. I'm just, I'm just really, I'm really excited to see where these characters go in the next series, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Brilliant. Well, until next time on Alternate Galaxies, our most irregular of shows that we put out. I've been Rob, and I've been Dave. We'll see you then. Bye bye. Goodbye. You've been listening to Alternate Galaxies, the podcast where Rob and Dave from the Doctor Who show take a look at other great sci-fi and fantasy that we think Doctor Who fans might like. You can reach us at hello at thedwshow.net 
on Twitter at The DW Show or on Facebook forward slash The DW Show. Alternate Galaxies is an irregular podcast, so stay tuned to the Doctor Who show and other programs on our feed to know when the next episode's coming. Our theme music is called Wretched Destroyer and is by Kevin McLeod. Find him at incompetech.com. Well, that's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. I'm just a tourist! <laughs>